Welcome to Next Level Conversations, unscripted and unfiltered dialogues about life, love, and leadership, where we take on challenging topics with courage and curiosity. The conversations are hosted by Elan Bailey, leadership coach and consultant, and me, Jeff Ibonte, clinical counselor and leadership and organization development consultant. Next Level Conversations. Here we go. So here we are, Elan. Here we are. It is July 5th, 2020. July 5th. Wonder why kickoff. Yes. Yeah. This has uh, this has been, I would say, a conversation that's been a year in the making. And I'd almost say it's been a lifetime in the making. And mm. just meeting you and connecting with you, sometimes things just feel like I feel like I've known you for a lifetime. And yet yeah. I only we only met a year ago. Yeah. And as you were saying, we met at this conference, um, Connecting Curious Minds, and you said something that really stuck with me about who you've always been, especially as, as a child. Do you, do you want to share that story about your, your, your mm. curious mind? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it is literally one of my earliest memories. Mm. Uh, I was raised in a household that was quite religious. Um, and, you know, we had a ritual of kneeling to pray at the end mm -hmm. of the day. And I remember, like, I, I, I know I was under five. Uh, I can't quite place it. I would say maybe I was four. But I remember kneeling down and, you know, my mother leading me through the Lord's Prayer. And I asked a question that was, like, totally offside for my mother. But for me, mm -hmm. it was questioning you know, if this was how we were created, then where, you know, who made the creator, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, I wanted to go many levels deep. And uh, it literally, as I said, was one of my earliest memories. It's how I kind of landed. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's been the theme throughout my life is that I am willing to question everything. And I try not to just sort of take it at face value. And I'm willing to be uncomfortable with the question and with not knowing the answer. I've always been curious and just hearing this, you, like I just picture you kneeling and, and doing the same Lord's Prayer and those kind of things. And I remember there not being any space for me to be curious mm. because curiosity meant a lack of safety. I was, I was born and raised in an environment that was, um, I think on the outside, certainly very challenging, very dangerous in, in society. I was born and raised in Germany. And um, at the time we as a family faced daily racism, regardless of, of status, regardless of education, regardless of ability to speak a language. German is my other first language. And, um, curiosity put me on the radar and, and my goal was to be off the radar because any, any attention typically meant negative attention. So I really struggled with that, trying to figure out how to be, because again, innately, I am curious. I always ask questions, even to this day, nothing is as it seems, because I always want to go deeper. Like what, what, what's going on here? How does this work? And how do we get here? And how's this connected to this and that? And part of the struggle I had, and it was a really deep struggle, was to find my curious voice mm. beyond having curious thoughts. 
And the challenge around that really for me was finding finding out who I really am. Yeah. You know, and being and being okay with that. Yeah. And being okay with that. Am I in my family as a you know, raised by an African man, Jamaican woman? You know, black people, black parents, you don't you don't question. Um, at least right. I, I, I couldn't because that was a challenge to authority. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to an embrace of just curiosity. Like just, what a great way to, to nurture a young mind that is yeah. wanting to learn. But instead, curiosity was seen as a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You, you touched on something that for me, I think, really is what cracked it open because... Mm -hmm. So my parents are both Jamaican. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I was raised, raised in a religious household, but they had two very, very different religions. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it was a source of, of a lot of conflict and um, uncertainty. And mm -hmm. uh, it, my household did not feel safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents did the best they could with what they had and with what mm -hmm. they knew at the time, but it, it was not, it did not feel safe. So two things that you said I want to pick up on. One mm -hmm. was... I found a way to nurture my curious thoughts, even when I didn't have a voice. So I did a mm. lot of journaling and writing um, as, as a young person. But the piece around authority was for me, uh, one of the things that I observed early on, and again, early memory, I would have been under five, um, was the disconnect between how I saw uh, authority figures in my life, in particular, mm -hmm. my parents, how they were outside the home and how they were in the home. And, and that's what kind of was the wedge that was the crack in right. the veneer for me. Cause yeah. I'm like, wait a second. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I kind of just had a radar for paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And instead of just accepting that that's how the world works, that we all have kind of a persona that we have when we're out in public and a different way that we are when we're at home in our comfort mm. zone with our loved ones and friends and family. Uh, for me, that actually didn't add up. Mm. I had an expectation. I don't know where I got it from, but I had an expectation that we were the same wherever we were, whomever we were with. Mm. And so being able to notice that there was this discrepancy for me was the, the wedge that kept my questioning alive, even when I couldn't voice some of those questions and concerns. Uh, it made me wary, it made me, you know, do the extra work of protecting myself. It made me um, someone who was a strong advocate for justice and paying mm. attention to injustice. It had me very early on paying attention to abuses of authority. Mm. So uh, as much as that environment felt unsafe and unsettling as a young girl, it, it's actually what's given me the foundation for who I am today. Wow. Such difficult or different perspectives. I think about, I think about my youth and everything about that was recognizing that rules and, and you know, like family mantras didn't make sense. It just didn't add up. There was no consistency. And to this day, I really struggle with a double standard. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. So as a father now of a, of, of a 17 year old boy, what's important to me is that he sees an authentic person yeah. and authentic inside the home and outside of the home that 
he sees the same dad at home hanging out, chilling, being goofy or being serious, having yes. deep conversations, as he sees when I'm out in the public. Now it doesn't mean that you know if I'm in a certain environment, I might speak a certain way, and that's just situational. But he knows it's the same dad. It's the same dad who will speak up now. But I didn't grow up with that luxury. I didn't yeah. grow up with that freedom, and so I had to internalize a lot of those those double standards. Yes. And what was, and I'd say really crazy making was how blatant the double standard was. You know, one of them, I remember my, my, my mother, and as you said, my, my parents did the best they could. There's no blame at all. I get that they, yeah. that they only had certain tools and certain awareness and it is what it is. And I'm grateful to them for having given me life and set me up the way that, that they have. Yeah. And I also recognize that my, my mom even said, education has people respecting you. I thought, okay, so if, if I get good grades, again, it's a simple rule. But so if I get good grades, there's That's respect. Right. Well, I yeah. got good grades and I was still a nigger. Yeah. I, got, I got good grades and I was still dirty. I got good grades and still no one wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. So that messed with my head. So she said, well, you know, if, if with the wealthy people tend to get respect. Hmm. Okay, so they had a private practice as physicians and made tons of money. And, you know, we had crystal chandeliers and special plants in the house. I don't even know why, but whatever person runs on the wall, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, to me, I, I don't care about those things. But yeah, again, as a kid, I'm, I'm watching, right? I'm saying, okay, so wealth means respect. Oh, we have yeah. stuff and things. So and I can go out and, you know, be like, okay, so now I'm safe. And I wasn't safe. Yeah. The simple rules that I, you know, I, I talk to my son and say, so here's some safe people. Your teachers, um, you know, our certain neighbors and, you know, police officers. Again, there, there's general rules. We say these are supposed to be safe people. And I have to keep in mind that that isn't always the case. That safe isn't always up to me. I can create a safe environment for myself, for others, but I have no control over the environment that others set up for me. That's right. And so all I have is my authenticity. And my authenticity the foundation of that comes to my curiosity. I always have to ask why. Like, I, And that's why I love the title we came up with. This is Wonder Why. I always wonder why. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I, that I question authority. Yeah. It's that I'm really I'm curious. I want to learn. I want to understand. Because the more I understand, the easier it's for me to be me and to understand you and see you for who you are. Yes. Yeah. That ties in for me with, uh, mm. I remember one of my first jobs at 14, I was working yeah. at KFC. Ooh. And I still remember two, uh, I had two incredible managers working mm -hmm. there, Chris and Valerie. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris, both female, Chris mm. was somebody who just was an incredible giver. She was so generous with her mm. time and with her knowledge. And I remember specifically in my dynamic with her that she would train me on something and mm -hmm. I would go two levels deeper. Okay, why and why? Right. And in that moment, what I wanted was to be able to say, okay, you're teaching me in this setting that you do X, Y, and Z. But what happens when three things have gone awry? Mm -hmm. It is not business as usual how do I know how to make the right decision? So it was really that critical thinking and wanting mm -hmm. to get underneath it. And, you know, so 
again, that was like, okay, there's my early year, uh, early years experience with questioning and then how it served me through my teen years to question um, was really just to be able to like, I want to know how to be able to make decisions without relying on a rule book. You know, I want to be able to know where I stand, how to stand back critically from this. The other piece that sort of ties into this, and I'll, I'll get back to your point about authenticity, because for me, it is also my, one of my number one values. But I remember my sister, um, I didn't, you know, we're six years different, six years apart. Mm. And I can't remember exactly what grade she was in, but I remember her studying marketing in high school and coming mm. home and telling me all about like marketing as propaganda and advertising as propaganda. Right. And uh, so I'm like, okay, right. I got to really be able to step back from this. And again, think critically about what am I being asked to go buy? Mm -hmm. What's the message? You're trying to sell me a product, but what's the message, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the message is you're inadequate. <laughs> right? You know, if yeah. you don't have what, you know, if you don't have what I'm offering, you're at risk of not having friends, of not mm -hmm. being popular, of all, of all of that. So I just remember going through my teen years feeling very alone and very, um, I mean, I, I was popular from a socially, like if you stood back from it and evaluated my circle of friends, mm -hmm. but I felt very alone internally because I wanted to keep asking those questions. I wanted to like, you know, study the wonders of the universe. Mm. And I felt like when we all got together, we might've been doing the same things, you know, we were partying, we're sure. doing all that, but you know, we were talking a lot about what teenagers talk about, whereas I wanted to talk about like the wonders of the universe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Those are, those felt like difficult years. And back to what you were saying earlier about the, you know, being able to have your, your questioning voice, your questioning thoughts, mm -hmm. even if you couldn't have your questioning voice. That's again, what's, what took me through my teenage years was being able to journal and write and contemplate these things, even if mm -hmm. I couldn't be in conversation about them. You know, and I wonder what my journey would have been like had I journaled back then. Um, I don't think it was a, I know I was raised as the boy who's, you know, boys don't cry and, you know, boys don't have feelings. And so to dwell on that seemed to go against mm. at least one, one piece that I could identify with. Um, and I look back now and I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Right? Obviously, every, show me a young child that doesn't cry, regardless yeah. of, of gender, right? It's, yes. it's part of human nature to have feelings. Um, and as you were talking about authenticity and um, just nurturing your, that, that curious voice, a curious mind, I remember that for me, what came out of that was competence compulsion. Because mm. the interesting thing for me was that like I said to you, uh, there was no space for me to have, to ask these deeper questions. I'm so into that. It is literally defines me to the nth degree. Yeah. And asking questions meant that I wasn't smart enough and already went into mm -hmm. social situations being thought of as not intelligent, as not gifted, as not good enough, as not smart enough, as underachieving mm -hmm. by virtue of people looking at my skin color and having those stereotypes about what black people yeah. are like. And so my way to combat that was to show how smart I was. Hmm. Well, but showing how smart, and again, from a kid's point of view, showing how smart I was meant I couldn't ask questions. I had to give answers. Mm. 
Yes. And so what was what was born out of that for me that I struggled with for well well into adulthood was competence compulsion. Yeah. So I stunted my my growth, my ability to learn because I stopped asking questions and just found answers. And often found answers that didn't match them the depth to which I wanted to go. So it was just a quick, well, here I'm showing you that I'm good enough. And it was never about being smart enough. It was really always combating not being good enough and wanting to prove it. And, you know, I've gotten to, I can't even say it's not age related. I've gotten to a point in my life where I just don't give a damn anymore. Like I, I now, like what, what I know cannot be taken away from me. Yeah. What I, what I've been through is my experience cannot be disputed. People are going to have thoughts and feelings and I might be ostracized and I'm okay with that now because I know I can't control others. Yeah. And I think what's got me to this place is not only that I'm blessed with an amazing family, um, but on a personal level, definitely has been my spirituality. And it's sort of, it's not the religious piece of it. It's just knowing that I believe that there's something bigger than me that sees me for who I am. Yeah. And that gives me comfort to not to prove to people who I am because I'm recognized and I have biases. And I think this is the, you know, as Mm -hmm. I was talking yesterday, we had a big discussion about, you know, police and injustice and racism. And I just just had put it out there. I said, you know, listen, we all have biases. That's what we come with. It's it's part of, as humans, we we categorize things because we don't sit well with uncertainty. And unfortunately, because we might be a greedy species, we tend to stand on the backs of others. Yeah. I have biases. And I think part of what I really enjoy about the two of us talking, really starting this is that I am so keen to use our curious minds to discover these biases and just have conversations about this. Yes. I'm human. I know in my heart, I have great intentions. I care about you and your family and your people and everybody. I genuinely do. Yeah. What I don't see, I don't see. So that's why I want to discover and I need others to help me see. And it's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with you saying, Jeff, you know what? That was actually a really dumb thing for you to say. I'm okay with it. I mean, I can take this because I'm grown. I can handle it. (laughs) Because my mind goes to, oh, okay. So what did I miss there? What is the other perspective? And it doesn't mean that you are right and I'm wrong or vice versa. But it only means there's another way to look at this. Yes. And that's what I love, just being look at being able to look at things from different angles all over the place. Because, you know, coins have more than than two sides; they have infinite sides. That's right. And so I really want to learn. That's why I think, as you said earlier, like systems to me is is the key to life. It's it's the interconnectedness of everything. Yeah, and you know that that brings me to you know like meeting this moment Mm -hmm. and what are the things that that we can stand and reflect on right now i know there's a lot of people trying to figure out how to meet this moment Mm -hmm. how to show up in this moment fully and powerfully and for me that's one of the tools you know i started to study systems thinking early on Mm -hmm. and just the very nature that we come in, we're, we're, we're sort of taught and conditioned to be problem solvers, to gather some evidence, to make a decision, to use mm-hmm. our rational minds, and oftentimes at the expense of our intuition, our spiritual mm-hmm. connection, our energetic intelligence, and we rely on scientific evidence, and we make a decision, and we solve a problem, and away we go. Mm-hmm. 
And yet, like that bump under the carpet, you push it down in one place and it pops up someplace else. Or it pops up in multiple places. So just getting that this linear, rational thinking, this way of approaching problem solving is not enough. It's Mm -hmm. not adequate. And as we rush to solve one problem, we end up creating multiple other problems down the line. And we can't see it because it's not Mm -hmm. directly obvious through cause and effect. The time and place where the problems are going to show up are sometimes way further down the line, Mm -hmm. off to the side. So just really getting comfortable with the fact that the way that my education worked, and I loved school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the way that my education worked is it wasn't adequate to explain the complexity or to match the complexity of life, Mm -hmm. right? How is it that we are off in this land of abundance, we are able to buy products, we have good jobs, we have money, we have discretionary income, and we are killing the planet, (laughs) right? And that we're in denial about that on any level, right? So just the the systems thinking and the ability to kind of stand back from things and to consider those perspectives is, I think, something that helps me in this moment, even Mm. when the perspectives are really challenging even when I find myself emotionally holding on to my perspective because your perspective feels like a threat, mm-hmm. right? So just being able to recognize that that's, that's what I'm really pushing back against at times. Like you said, we all have biases. So where Absolutely. am I looking over there going, that person, their identity, their culture, their way of being, their opinions and their ideas is something that over here, the reptilian brain is saying it's a threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And being able to kind of notice physiologically what's happening in my body, bring myself back to center so that I can, maybe not in that moment or the next, but that I can come back and show up to the conversation being willing to at least listen. Hmm. You know, it's two words that just jumped out at me, willing and adequate. Hmm. Um, I think linear, linear thinking is very adequate based hmm. on whichever goal I may have, right? Yeah. If, if my goal is to stay in my, my bubble and ignore the things that I could learn more about, to ignore some of the challenges that I may have and just forge forward, and as I say, ignorance is, is bliss, linear yes. thinking is completely adequate. It, yeah. it fits, right? And this is why often we don't engage in conversations because I, I have the truth. I know what it is. So there's no point in us discussing this, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a tug of war. It's you versus me. Yeah. And what I've gotten to now, and as, as you so eloquently said, I think it's about just a willingness, a willingness to go there. Mm. Um, I had a, we had a heated discussion last night. It was really, it was deep. It was very heated, mm. lots of emotion. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I'm actually all right. There's no threat here. There's no, mm. people have different opinions. And this is not life or death. It's not like if, if I agree or disagree, I might die. So whatever yes. I'm, I'm, I'm fearing is inside of me. This is just, it's, it's not crucial. So I can afford to suspend that and hang out in the conversation. Yes. And it felt, and I remember Tori and I were talking this afterwards, she said, you know, Jeff, how do you do this? And I said, it's taken a lifetime to get there, quite frankly, because everything yeah. felt so personal, but nothing's yes. personal. Nothing's personal. It's, it's, oh, so I'm, good. I'm, I'm showing you who I am with, with how I'm, with what I'm doing. I'm not yeah. showing you who you are, 
Who yes. am I to do that? I have no skills. I am not as people for I'm not God, so I can't say to you, my child, I see you. Yes. Here's who you are. No. I see you through my experiences, through my linear thinking, or through my, you know, multi-linear thinking. And don't want to yeah. put that out because I don't know who who has like complete, utter, you know, whole wholehearted thinking in essence. Yeah. Um and as I realize this is not personal, less feelings. Yeah. I mean, I can still be passionate about the topic and, you know, me, I can be very passionate about topics. Yes. But it's no longer about me defending myself. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's so great. And so here's something. I want to talk a little bit more about that as, as mm. a skill um, because there's a couple of things there that are, are really, really top of mind. But the one thing I, I just want to kind of say is the other piece to this, you know, that, that, old, that old Darwinian, and it wasn't even Darwin that came up with it. I forget the guy's mm. name, but, you know, Darwin opted, copted, you know, this survival of the fittest. And I think we've taken that to mean, you know, the one who's in the best physical shape, the one who has the most wealth, the one who Mm -hmm. has the most toys, Mm -hmm. you know, the most competitive, the one who's Mm -hmm. like going to go to the end Mm -hmm. and and come out the winner. And I realized early on that my definition, at first I rejected it. I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I I don't think so. And then I kind of took a second look later on, you know, maybe in the last decade or so. And I'm like, huh. So survival of the fittest could mean, you know, how we adapt, how we adapt as human beings. And for a lot of us, uh, us at this stage, it's not necessarily the biological adaptation, it's the mental, it's the psychological adaptation. So to me, when we're talking about this rational linear thinking, it's mm. like, I, I adopt ideas that have been successful for me. Mm-hmm. And I hold on to them as long as I think they are contributing to my ongoing success and they're serving mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. What I don't always see is when they stop serving me. Right. And that's where sometimes, you know, life comes and challenges me at the deepest level. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's what was at one time a, a, a thought process or an idea or a worldview that served me that has now become maladaptive. When I look at what's happening in the world, my way of thinking has become maladaptive. In other words, it's keeping me stuck instead of allowing me to open to what is needed in that moment. So to me, you know, you talked earlier about your son and I have, you know, my son just turned 18. And so it's like, what do I want to teach him in addition to authenticity and how to be that person in the world? And I've always given him permission to call me on my bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a single parent and I'm like, okay, here's how we're going to, you know, change that way of living a double standard. Mm-hmm. So from the time he had language and physical language, even before he could speak, I started to, you know, allow him and give him that space, give him permission to challenge me, to call mm-hmm. me on it, especially mm-hmm. as a single mother, because he doesn't have another parent that he can go to and say, hey, mom's being unreasonable. Mm-hmm. It's just him and me. So from a very early age, I gave him permission to challenge me. And then, you know, not putting the burden on him. It's like, I have to be aware. Mm -hmm. How am I putting this off on him that, you know? Mm -hmm. So those are the things I want him to bring forward is being adaptive, being able to question me, being able to question himself. Mm -hmm. Hey, how did I come up with this idea? And is it still serving me? You know? Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, and I have to just gloat for a little bit. I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you. So happy to be here with you. I was going to put that out there. Um, and then you spoke about Darwin. And 
oh, it's, I'm trying to hold back all the feelings I have about this. I'm just trying to be clear. <laughs> Me too. I grabbed my notepad. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So survival <laughs> of the fittest, if we're talking about the strongest, is the society we live in. It is the, all the isms, right? Racism, sexism, you know, the genderism, and you, you name it. We, we have all those isms, our survival of the fittest, in terms of who is, who is the, the strongest, biggest, baddest. Mm. But the principle speaks about the best fit, survival of the one who fits the best mm. in, in this system. It's about community. So if you think about like an, an environment, and this is back to my biology days, I was, I was learning about two different species, call it foxes and, and rabbits. Yeah. And there was a, and the environment had a carrying capacity. And what that means is that foxes couldn't overeat because then that meant that they're going to run out of resources, which means they can't reproduce as much because then nature has to balance. We can't have more foxes than, than, than rabbits because mm -hmm. foxes will, will starve. Yeah. So then foxes reproduce less in order to survive, which is carrying capacity. It, it is, everything is in balance. Yes. So this, this stronger than having more than is imbalance. Yes. And imbalance destroys everything. Yes. So as, as you, as you said, you know, having stuff and things and affluence, and those kind of things that we're destroying the planet is because we're not, we're not a good fit anymore. We're not yeah. recognizing the connectedness, the importance of connectedness. Yeah. And that goes, I mean, again, globally, we're talking about nature and, and the planet. But specifically for me, that means I need to be connected with you. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I need to love you and deeply care for you, but it's understanding that what I do affects you and what you do affects me. Yeah. So there is no difference here. There is no, you do you and I'll do me. Yeah. And I've been accused, I remember I was accused of being codependent. That's, that's a really sexy term, mm. like codependent, because, you know, <laughs> self-differentiation is where it's at. I'm saying, sure, I mean, I need to know who I am and that'll be a lifelong journey anyway. But please recognize that we are connected here. Yes. Nothing in nature exists in isolation. That's right. Right? And, and it goes beyond the, the, the planet. That the moon affects the, the tides. It means that there's a bigger connection. Ugh. So why are we arguing about the differences? Why do we feel threatened when a worldview that has worked for me thus far is now being challenged? Well, mm. as humans, we don't like uncertainty. I get that. Uncertainty yes. to me is scary. If, if I don't know where the next penny is coming from tomorrow, I'm nervous about that. Yeah. But if you think about survival of the fittest, the one who fits the best, well, I have family. So if, if I can't make money tomorrow, there's family that cares. There's friends that I can call and we'll support yeah. each other. And when yeah. my friends can't, but I can, then I support them. That's the best fit. Yes. But we're in a system that pits us against each other in That's order right. for there to be financial benefit. So Feelings when we become stuff. consumers and your system was spot on with the propaganda, we learn we're not good enough. If I don't buy a nice crispy shirt that costs yeah. $1,200, then I am not, I'm not the right kind of man. If I don't have a yeah. six pack by the time I'm, I'm 50, then I'm less of a, of a virile man. Yeah. Less than. So now we are now heeding to this survival of the fittest, the strongest, the biggest, the baddest, which means if I'm the baddest, if I'm the strongest, there must be weaker people in order for me That's, to be strong. There has to be. There has then I to maintain be. that the, system of stronger and right. weaker. That's right. That's the zero sum game.
Yes, right? Exactly, In survival exactly. of the fittest, it is a zero sum game. Exactly. The pie is only so big, right? Yes. Now, I happen to watch your show with <laughs> Shireen. Yes. And I know that she, and you, you, you didn't get to go too far down the rabbit hole, but she mentioned the word scarcity. Yes. And yes. without scarcity and separation inside of this zero sum game, that's mm. how that old mechanism of survival of the fittest works. Yes. That's how you become a threat to me. Right. 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 Whether it's because of the color of your skin or yeah. because of your gen, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. I'm going to pin mm -hmm. it on. It's really me saying there's only so much to go around right. and I have to get mine, take right. care of me and mine mm -hmm. and you're a threat. Right. 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 So really just, just kind of, I, I mean, I've, I've always challenged that. Now I know I'm in a system that works mm -hmm. off of those principles. Absolutely. What Absolutely. keeps me on the one hand grounded and what keeps me on the other hand, 50 feet off the ground mm -hmm. is that whatever your belief, and I, I'm not, I don't need to know what each person believes about how we got here. Mm -hmm. But what I know is that this isn't man-made. <laughs> the social laws are, the mm. game of survival of the fittest and the way that we've interpreted that mm -hmm. for our benefit, that was man-made. Right. But the intelligence that makes you the magnificent human being that you are, mm. like, I, I don't know why we don't just get up in the morning and just look in the mirror and be in awe of right. what it is to be a human being. Huh. Amazing. Right? Like, Amazing. like this... <laughs> this and the way this works and the way all of this works and the way that it's designed you talk i mean i want to come back to relationship and connection and mm -hmm. power and love because you know that's my that's where i stand but, yeah. but just for a moment just to stop and appreciate the magnificence of who we are as human beings Elan, isn't it crazy all the individual cells that make up all of this that work together in unison <sighs> that I can go to sleep and know that my heart will continue to beat for me without yes. me asking, that my lungs will, will take in oxygen and, and dis dispel carbon dioxide, that the systems all, there's individual cells that create organs. This is mind boggling. And yeah. we talk about the universe, this is a universe. Yes. Things work together, these individual meaningless things that somehow form systems that work together in unison to do the best they can. Every breath should be a freaking gift. Exactly. And, and, it, and, doesn't, look, and it doesn't take a strategic plan. No. You don't have to sit each day, mm. each week, each month no. to write a strategic plan no. out of how to keep yourself breathing no. and how to keep your body doing what it's doing. I mean, right. that is the magnificent. And we are fucking squandering. Absolutely. Squandering Absolutely. that power Absolutely. to run after this social power that says I'm okay because I got a certain amount of likes on social media mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my life looks good on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, inside we're lonely. We're, you know, we've forgotten how to connect. Never mind how to connect to each other. We've forgotten how to connect to ourselves. Absolutely. And I just see that like, that's the biggest heartbreak is mm -hmm. that we're squandering that power. And sorry, I talked over you. No, it's perfect. Please do. And it's, it's such a shame. It is such a shame that, 
Listen, I have I have buried too many people that, that I that I wish I had another moment with. Um, people who were just amazing. I think about my, my godfather, the best man I've ever been blessed to know, who led by example with bravery and courage and humility and vulnerability. I love him to death. And he has passed. And I would give another I would give anything to have another moment with him. Yeah. Well, I have this moment. So what am I doing with this? Yes. What am I doing with this moment? And I can sit in, in ignorant bliss and ignore. But I touch other people's lives, whether I want to or not. I go to the grocery store. I say hello. I don't say hello. It has an impact. So I get to choose. But I can't choose to be a positive person in this world. Like I can't choose to leave a positive mark if I am not positive with myself, if I'm buying into this scarcity, which doesn't exist, like we are, yes. there is abundance. There need not be a hungry person on this planet. There need not be pollution that is challenging this as planet. It's only yeah. based on greed. So scarcity just doesn't exist yet, but it's designed to make us feel less than. And when I buy into that, I value myself less. And if yes. I value myself less, how could I possibly value you? There's, there's nothing left. Look, there's nothing if, left. If, if the tank is empty at the end of every day, and this is where I figured out that whole zero-sum mm. game, it's like, yeah. I, I, I felt I was an altruistic very early on. Oh, mm. I remember in grade five, in kindergarten, <laughs> my teacher saying, you know, like she, she should focus more on herself because I always sure. wanted to take care of everybody around me. Right, right, right. right. But it took me a long time to figure out that if I couldn't restore and take care of myself, mm -hmm. that if I put everybody else ahead of myself and still carried the idea that I was somehow deficient or inadequate, that I didn't have, I would not, that was where I was creating scarcity, that I would not yes. have enough and that I would constantly be in a cycle yeah. of saying, I will take care of others right after I'm taken care of. Once my bills mm -hmm. are paid and once my son is taken care of, then mm -hmm. I'll have enough. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough right now mm -hmm. to be able to take care of others. But once I could get, and it, it's, it, it's like your mind going in two different directions here. Once I could get that I was already whole, mm -hmm. already adequate, not that I had to earn that, mm -hmm. but that I already was that. Not that I had to deserve somebody's love, but that I already did by nature of being born right? Mm -hmm. that, that I was already whole and that I could continue to foster that and build that and develop that. And that I could also look out for others. So I just want to enter this into the conversation because I've shared this with you before, this power and love, this idea. Paul Tillich is this theologian who talked about these concepts of power and love. And he mm -hmm. describes it because those are both overly misused terms. Absolutely. So to enter in the record, power, as he describes it, is the drive to self-realize with increasing intensity and extensity. You're here on this planet. You're magnificent as a human being. You have gifts, and you want to realize those gifts in the world. Whatever expression that looks like to you, whatever realization looks like to you, that's power. Love is the drive for unity and connection. And so... Martin Luther King Jr., who studied under Paul Tillich, came up with this quote that said, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about that survival of the fittest, that's power over. 
that's the drive to self-realize run amok, right? And unity and connection, I only extend that to me and mine. Right, right. <laughs> me, my family, you know, mm. I got to make sure my kids are taken care sure. of and maybe they're yeah. friends, yeah. right? But if we really bring ourselves, you talk about nature and the mm -hmm. fox and the rabbits and the being in balance. And to me, power and love is the way to bring that into balance. So the drive Absolutely. to self-realize, I'm not going to diminish myself for you to feel or for you to get over. I have a right to self-realize, mm -hmm. but not at the expense of you and others around me, right? So combining my drive to self-realize with my desire, my deep, deep desire to be connected with all of life around me and to continually you know, do that dance of how do you bring those two qualities together and live them? You know, and then I'm, <laughs> I can feel tears of joy and sadness at the same time, because I think to myself, so how does that apply in the bigger picture, right? Mm. Um, I have learned some of this through hardship. And so it's, and I'll say it loosely, it's been kind of forced on me to, to start to think that way. And then I think, well, what about people in, in with, let's say, more, more privilege, right? People who have that, that, that power over. Now, this mindset becomes a choice, not a responsibility. Mm. It becomes a choice. And again, as long as I'm taking care of mine, I've worked hard for it, you know, I deserve it, you don't know what I've been through, so why should I now have asked those questions? Mm. And I was watching, I was watching Super Soul Sunday this morning because you know, I'm a big fan of Oprah. And there's a gentleman speaking, and he said, "You know, our we are often caught up in having our jobs define who we are. Hmm. You know, you go to yeah. a party and they say, what's your name? Define Bonte. Oh, what what do you do? And you know, I I am a dot dot dot. Yeah. Well, I that's not what I am. No. That is what I do." Who I am is a person who genuinely wants to solve more problems than I cause. Yeah. That requires for me to be critical. And it doesn't mean that I won't have enough. It means that we're going to work hard together to figure out what enough is. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do my part to create a safe environment for you to be okay. And I hope that you will join me in that. That is the only way that the fox and the rabbit can survive. Yeah. And the grass that the rabbit eats and the, the land that the, that the fox takes hold burrows into to, to, you know, take care of the little ones. And, you know, the river that provides all the water. I mean, again, it's, it's a system. We can't exist in isolation. But those who are in power really need to think about this. What is your legacy? Your legacy is not the Rolls Royce, like the stuff and the things, the houses, yeah. the wealth, your legacy is who you are on this planet. Yeah. And it's not defined by, by those yes sayers who love your stuff and things because they don't see you. Yeah. They see, and we call those accomplishments, but they see just the things. They don't see you as a person. That's right. And you are magnificent, not by virtue of the things that you collect, by virtue of the impact you have on this planet. Yeah. Yes. And I hope and pray and wish and beg and plead that we all start to think about what legacy are we leaving behind with every single breath we take. Every single breath. 
Do I say hello? Do I turn my eye? If I'm mm. in place of judgment, do I act out of judgment? Or do I ask myself, what am I judging here? What, what does this tell me about me? As opposed to, here's my fact about them. That's right. It is, it starts with me, it ends with me. Yeah. You do you, I'll do my work. Yes. And then, only then, can we have a safe conversation? I talked about psychological health and safety, right? Um, yes. in, in the talk yesterday or on Friday with, with Shereen. Friday, yeah. Only then can we do that work. Because then we're clear enough to not go at each other. That's right. But then we're talking with each other. Yes. You can argue with me and you're not saying to me, oh, I'm not hearing. Oh, well, Elan is saying that I'm not good enough. Elan is saying that I'm a seller. I don't need to hear that. If that's where you're at, again, you're showing me the work you're needing to do. <laughs> that's that right. You are doing. Yeah. I'm me. Who are yeah. you telling me what, who I am? Yeah. But I have to be brave to challenge myself. And so I think, and coming back to the original point, the more privilege we have, the more responsibility it is to be mindful of how easy it is to step on other people. Yeah. Right? The more privilege I have, the more power I have, yeah. the less work I need to do because I can, I can outsource that. I, I can, when I say outsource that, I, I can have others pay the price for the things that I don't want to look at. Yes. But have that me, me being, being the one paying the price. Yeah. Oh, then there's uproar. That's right. So I think empathy, truly mm. investing and in understanding the depth and the importance of empathy. Yeah is such a key factor in even looking at self and other. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's so, so amazing that you entered that word because to me that that's what you embody, you know, going back to that just over a year ago when we met and you took the mm -hmm. stage at the conference and, you know, you open your mouth to speak. And, you know, I think you started by acknowledging the territory mm -hmm. where the conference was happening, mm -hmm. you know, you evoke empathy with every word, with every fiber of your being. Mm. And I think that to me is what makes it such a privilege to be in this conversation with you and to be deepening our friendship mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and our professional relationship in this moment in time. Absolutely. In this moment in time when these kinds of conversations are so, so needed. I just want to tie back to one thing you said about responsibility, because to me that also ties in with this power, power and love, power with. So I am responsible and I'm accountable. Yes. And to me, the accountability is paying attention to the impact I am having. This idea of sweeping things under the carpet of here's what I do as an organization mm -hmm. in the US, mm -hmm. but then the headlines read about all the philanthropic work I'm doing in other parts of the uh, less developed parts of the world. Wait a second, mm -hmm. where's your accountability when mm -hmm. an organization can go into a country and drain the water, all of the fresh right. water from a yeah. village yeah. to make consumer products mm -hmm. that then get sold back to those folks or sold over here in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just an example of right. I'm responsible 
and I need to wake up to the impact. I am mm -hmm. accountable. Mm -hmm. And I might say, well, it's just about me and mine, but the impact that I'm having ripples far beyond that Absolutely. to a much, much larger group of stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And that idea that I can just bury my head in the sand and say, well, we're all good. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm an organization, me, my clients, my employees, we're taken mm -hmm. care of. We're good, mm -hmm. you know, and not be accountable for the impact that we're having on the planet, for the impact that we're having. Maybe our employees aren't so great. Yeah, we're paying them, but they have no work-life balance, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a conversation, I think, for a whole other time and day. But yeah. just that piece that the responsibility and accountability go together. And I'll add to that, Delana. I'm glad you brought that up impact and an intent so we can have the best of intentions yeah. but we need to be equally mindful of the impact yes because if the if the impact doesn't match the intent then we need to relook at these these theories we're putting in place practices we're putting in place because then we need to change the plan yeah yeah and then often and i see this in organizations all the time and in leadership groups where they'll come in with the best of intention Mm. and then tell themselves that whatever outcome that they see is a story that they want to see. Yeah. So the outcome is, oh, geez, you know, it looks like we're, we're doing something good because obviously the intention is to do something good. So the impact must be positive. But mm. there's no questioning of people that they're trying to impact. There's fear of that. There's, there's making plans for people as opposed to with yes. people. That's where and, I was just going to go, yeah. And that's, yeah. That's, that to me is part of, colonization it's it's i know yes. what you need without you even without you having to open your mouth i know what you need yeah. well you're, you're a woman of course let let me lend my male voice to you because you're a poor yeah. woman who can't speak for herself well hello yeah. what? what you yeah. are a force of nature land i would never speak for you unless you ever asked me to and i'd be happy yeah. to be your ally at any time in your life going forward from this moment on yeah but i cannot be the one who says i know it yeah. And that's the danger with, with, with intent. We feel so self-righteous with good intention. Yes. And we're so afraid of saying, so I have this good intention, but what's the impact? Mm. And Shereen and I talked about this a little bit on, or quite a bit on, on Friday, where we're talking about how organizations have this great intent in, in looking at racism. How does racism impact our organization? And what can we do about that? And so they, they create task groups. But the first problem is, they're outsourcing rather than looking at themselves. Leadership isn't looking at themselves first, right? Yeah. Uh, let, let's just get a consultant to go in and do a workshop and that'll fix it. Or let, let's talk to those, let, let's get those who are impacted to let us know what we need to do. And we won't think about what we need to do. We're outsourcing without thinking about how that might impact them. Yeah. Not having to be the, the voice of all. And so I think, and I want to, invite everybody especially myself and if, if i ever miss the board on this please call me out of that i will i have the best of intention i know that to be true and i will say this to my maker any given moment of my life but i want to know the impact that i have yeah and the impact isn't always about me missing the mark i think sometimes the impact is that someone someone has their own stuff going on and they're not ready for that which is That's okay right. but i need yeah. to be aware of that I need to be aware of that. Exactly. And I think yes. organizations, leaders specifically, people who have power, privilege, if we're not thinking about the impact we're having, we're missing. Then we are the pure, perfect example of Darwin's misguided, misquoted theory 
of survival of the one who is the fittest, not the yes. one who fits. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. And and in that, so how do we create conversation around impact? Because you touched on something there that was just beautiful. And that is this this way that we have of, of making someone else responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you said X and it affected me this way. Mm-hmm. And you thus are responsible. And that's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about here. But to, so we each have our own work to do. And yeah. sometimes determining the responsibility for that work is the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels like it is being done to me. So part, yeah. of the, the part of the thing I focus on when I do my leadership development work is I start by introducing people to the drama triangle mm-hmm. where how often do we play the role of victim mm-hmm. as opposed to creator? Mm-hmm. So that we start there and having that awareness. <clears throat> there was a piece though that you said about impact and being as leaders willing to open the conversation. Mm-hmm. If you're outsourcing the work, you're not in the conversation about impact. Mm-hmm. You're not in the conversation about before we even raise our hands mm-hmm. to go find solutions. Let's just get become aware of the impact that we've had to date. What has this been like? Right? And really just being able to sit in the discomfort of asking the question, of being able to hear, you know, what has genuinely been true from another person's perspective. And to be able to take on that perspective, whether we agree with it or not, but to genuinely be able to hear it. I mean, that's a muscle that we have. It really is, it really is. And it's just, it becomes a discovery as opposed to a battle, right? That's just because the impact that I'm having on you is, is negative from your point of view does not then mean that I have done the wrong thing. That's right. That I am a bad person. It means, let's discover this. So here's, here's the intention, and I guess this is the impact on you. So how do we now brainstorm? What can we do to make sure that my intention has a positive impact on you? Yeah. And what, what can we do doesn't always mean, what do I need to do? Sometimes it means, what work do you need to do in order for, for this to land well enough? Yes. And it could be that the story you're telling yourself is that I'm not a good enough person or that I shouldn't be telling you exactly. and you know, your, your, your daddy shouldn't be telling you. So therefore I have no right to tell you, well, this is, this, this is not my, my, my work. That's right. But if I understand that there's something going on for you, then it's not personal. So give me information about where you're at. I'll give you information about where I'm at. And that's part of the basis of, of the discussion. So like what I said, like it takes bravery and transparency and vulnerability, yes. which does not undermine competence. It doesn't undermine value of, of personhood. It only means that you show up as a brave human being who wants to be, who wants to fit, who wants to fit. Yes, who and, and to fit. continue to keep fitting. Yes. The world is not static. No. Are, you know, you think, I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about mm. who our teenagers are huh, yeah. and in terms of how they know themselves and how they know themselves inside of a system mm-hmm. is probably far different than when, where you and I stood at their age. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. this is constantly evolving and changing. And so fit to continue to fit. Mm-hmm. Who do I, who do I need to be as a human being so that I continue to fit even as the system around me changes. And that is why I love what we've named this wonder why. Um, To me, it's, I wonder why I think this way. I wonder why (laughs) I feel this way. 
I wonder why I act this way. I wonder why I said what I said. I wonder why I didn't say something when that thing happened. Because that is an ongoing exploration of self that in itself will give you more insight into what's going on. Yes. And that's, those are the conversations I want to, I want to have with you, of course, and as we've had since day one, to be honest. Yes. And those are conversations I want to encourage others to have. It's just to, and it's, you know, I'm hearing in the back of my mind people saying, oh, but it's so much work. And then that means that I can never be satisfied with myself. <laughs> Again, I, I'll, I'll defer to what you said earlier. We are magnificent beings. You open yes. your eyes, you look in the mirror, give yourself a high five and go, did it again. I'm breathing. Yeah. I'm good. I'm here. I can't wait to do this thing. Yeah. yeah. And if we understand life properly, only if we do, we get that learning is lifelong. We yes. learn from the moment we're born to the moment we take our last breath. We will never know it all. Perfection is a myth. Mm. So the journey is learning. So yeah. if the journey is learning, if that is part of our life, no matter whether we choose to or not, then why not just lean into them and go, well, if that's what it is, then let me continue to learn. Exactly. And the benefit is that we get more out of life. Yeah. If I stay in my lane and sit in my privilege, feel sorry for me because I'm missing out on the glory of learning <laughs> about all these awesome that's things right. around me. That's right. Yeah. And is it work? To me, it's, it's freedom. It is yes. freedom. It is, it is getting out of oh. these limitations. That's right. You know, I, I sent you an image today about a fish in, in a fishbowl that was suspended on the ocean and the fish jumping mm. out of its fishbowl into the ocean. Yeah. And that's what I think life is to get out of my own little fishbowl yes. and jump into the vast ocean of life. Yeah. There's glory in this. I mean, think about all the animals and the plants and all the intricate systems that work together in yeah. unison to create life and life upon life upon this is unbelievable it is so yeah. awesome embrace it there is mm. no space for this this bullshit where we would go at each other why do yeah. we have wars why do we have borders why do we have isms why do we have to have black lives matter blue lives matter white lives matter you know female lives yeah. matter life it's about the exploration of life and if we just try right. into the beauty and value of all, we're all okay. Yes. And what will exactly. be true? What will be true, Len, is that we're born and we'll die. So that's death right. is inevitable. This is there will be an end to this. It is what. What it are is. you gonna do with the dash in between? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I just want to go back because we're we're wrapping up here, and I just want to yes. go back because I think you had a beautiful takeaway there, and I, I know there's gonna be some people who watch this and be like, you know, like you said, how much time mm. is this gonna take? We don't have time. Right. Especially if we're profit driven, we got, we got work to do. We don't have time to sit and do work. Right. Mm. <laughs> I remember the day I, I, you know, quick story mm. here. I remember mm. I joined this organization and I had, I'd been working in, you know, I had my own company. I'd worked right. with some big organizations doing, I had a digital marketing business at the time. And, you know, I was known as the get shit done woman, right? Mm. Like it was all about competence, come in, get it done, yeah. get the players, the stakeholders working together, yeah. wrap it up by deadline. No problem. You know, with mm -hmm. a smile on your face. And then I left that because I wanted to do more meaningful work. Yes, yes. And I struggled for a while. And then I found myself working in this learning organization. Mm -hmm. And there we did things in relationship. We did things mm. by consensus. We did things. Mm. And I was still coming in with my worldview of like, we just show up to the meeting, you know, none of this nicety stuff. Let's mm -hmm. just get down to it and get mm -hmm. shit done. Mm -hmm. And 
it rocked me. Hmm. It absolutely rocked me how that system just rejected, you know, mm. that's how it felt at the time. It yeah. just rejected my way of being. Yeah. But it opened the door for me to stop and take a look mm. at who am I being? How am I being? And is that the right way of being for this mm. system? And what can I learn? And how can I grow? So um, out of that, that sort of disruptive process came this like commitment to constantly be looking taking the time slowing down so now just putting myself in the role of a leader who's running an organization mm -hmm. and you talked earlier about that compulsion for competence right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's like just think of the leaders that we know mm -hmm. who show up with perhaps some of the answers mm -hmm. they're grounded they're calm they're you know self-aware mm -hmm. aware enough to admit when they don't know mm -hmm to have the courage to ask questions when they don't. I mean, we don't look at a person like that and think, oh God, they're so incompetent. We might think that that, that about ourselves, sure. but taking the time to slow down, creating the spaces in mm -hmm. our families, in our relationships, in our organizations mm -hmm. to have real dialogue. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think of coronavirus and racial injustice this year, the way it's played out, if it's shown us anything, is that nature will arise. Mm -hmm. You can suppress, you can try to suppress it all you want. Nature will arise. And if you're maladaptive, it will show up. It shows up as a cancer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so here we are, and the opportunity is for us to be able to slow down as coronavirus taught us. Mm -hmm. How do we slow down? How, would, how do we create space for dialogue? How do we create space to actually get to know ourselves and to know each other? and to be okay with not knowing and actually having organizations where people wonder together, not run headlong for solutions, but to wonder together, to explore the systems, to become aware of the systems together. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. think that's such a powerful place to start. And for me, that kind of person as a leader, if I'm a follower, that's someone I'm willing to follow. Not the person who shows up time and time again, thinking they know all, mm -hmm. only to create more and more and more problems that I am then tasked right. with resolving, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the kind of leadership I can get behind. I just think there's Perfect. an opportunity for us to all look at our leadership. Perfect. Lots for us to talk about. And I think oh. we, should, we should end it there. This is a beautiful, beautiful, nice, you've pulled it all together perfectly. Um, I want to continue this, so I'm I'm excited for the next for the next time we we chat about this and uh, absolutely, and I'm excited to continue to wonder why. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Thank okay. you, Jeff. Thank you, Elan. <laughs> <laughs> All right.